Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Spark London. Will you please welcome your host, Charlie? Welcome, everybody. Can you hear me okay? Thank you so much for coming. I'm Charlie. I'm the host tonight, so I'm going to be kind of bringing people on stage, telling, uh, telling you when there is an interval, telling you when you can get drinks and things like that. All the stories that you're going to hear on stage tonight are true and personal stories of the people that are speaking them. Um, we have open mics in Hackney and Brixton, which we'll tell you a bit more about later, but the uh, selected hand-picked storytellers that you're going to hear from tonight are people from those shows, they're people that we know, they're people that we don't know, but we will know after tonight. Tonight's theme, trick or treat. So these stories will be of trick or treat. Um, people will have just interpreted that theme as they wish. We also, we also gave you slips as you came in. Have you got your slips? Some people have got their slips. It says on it, what is the nastiest surprise you've ever had? So throughout the, throughout the night, I'm going to be collecting those, sort of reading them out. Before I came here, I had a little uh, research with some of my friends. I was texting them uh, as to see what the nastiest surprise they've ever had. I texted my friend Pete. He said, getting a Salvador Dali t-shirt for Christmas instead of the PlayStation I wanted. Uh, then I text my brother, what was the nastiest surprise have you ever had? He said, finding out when you were born, Charlie, that you were a girl and not a boy. <laughs> Cheers, thanks. Um, I was thinking about what my one was, right? Because like, I had one happen to me quite recently. I work uh, as a tour guide on the open-top buses. Uh, you've seen us in London, that's my job. Uh, and so, you know, I'm on, on the buses uh, going, on your left the Houses of Parliament, on your right, Portcullis House. Straight ahead of you is a homeless man mouthing fuck off at the pigeons. That kind of thing, that kind of thing. And um, I had a guy get on my bus recently, and he went, Charlie, Charlie, we're back. He goes, we came on your tour four years ago. You were a gem, and we're back for more. Sweet, but all I, he wanted me to be like, he wanted me to think it was sweet as well. He wanted me to be like positive, but all I could think of was, I've been doing this job for four years. That's an that's a insight into my tragic life. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of you have, uh, have, have, have lovely stories that, um, 
uh, aren't as tragic as that. Um, so are you ready, ladies and gentlemen, for your first storyteller of the evening? Yay! Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage the wonderful Celia, ladies and gentlemen. I was 25 years old when, at the time of this story. I had just got my first real job. It was a trainee clinical post in a small psychiatric hospital. My first significant relationship had just disintegrated with him saying, quite simply, we weren't actually emotionally involved. So my story starts in Tavistock Place. It's about nine at night. I've just left a psychoanalytic group where I'd left feeling pretty irritated with the group leader, pretty grumpy about men, and really feeling pretty devastated about life in particular. I was walking rather aimlessly down the street when my attention was drawn to a great big yellow skip. As I passed the skip, I noticed that it was full to overflowing with beautiful bricks, muted yellows, dark reds. I ran my fingers over the bricks and they were strangely comforting. And I started to muse about life. I was preoccupied with the fact that I didn't want to go back to my empty flat. I didn't want to go anywhere, and I didn't want to be with anyone. Suddenly, I felt self-conscious, hand in skip, and I looked around to see if anyone was watching me. A few moments later, Suddenly, a red brick found its way into my handbag with its head popping over the top of my handbag and I was walking at a great pace to Euston Station. Some minutes later, I was on the train. The chap sitting opposite me, young chap, gave me a smile and I returned the compliment before I realised that he wasn't smiling at me he was flirting with my brick. <laughs> the woman next to him, an older woman, looked deeply concerned. And I smiled reassuringly at her, and I draped my scarf over the brick. Camden Town, Kentish Town. The train pulled into Tufnell Park. Everything in me said I should leave the train. But I, I resisted, I sat there, I let the doors close, and I realized that I didn't want to do anything rash. I needed to put together some sensible, subtle message that would make the point. And the brick wasn't subtle, so that wasn't really sensible. So I sat in the train, musing about how to put a, a message together. 
Now, I wasn't very good with words. I came from a family where the culture was that you listened, you listened to the few words that were spoken, but the real communication happened non-verbally. It was your duty to know what the other person thought, what they wanted. And if you didn't do it, you were just bloody insensitive. So for me, words were the icing on the cake. They weren't any, I didn't think of them as something of substance. Anyway, I was sort of ranting away in my head and I suddenly realized that passengers were looking at me. So I closed my eyes and I waited for the train to arrive at Highgate. Then I'm in my empty flat. I put the brick on my desk. I rummage and find some good quality writing paper. And I sit, a pen in hand, waiting for inspiration. I have to be able to put together something that would mean something to this man. He'd always been clever with words, metaphors, paradoxes. He'd written a book on the subject. And now I needed to find a few. I waited, I waited, and then it came to me. I wrote in big letters just to prove I was not emotionally involved. I folded the paper in three. I put the paper on the brick. I found a bit of pink ribbon. I tied the message to the brick. I finished it with a simple bow. And I smiled. I smiled at the irony. The irony made the message scream. And the brick, well, it just added weight. <laughs> I'm... <laughs> and now oh, I'm outside his house in Tufnell Park. I'm under the lamppost. I'd forgotten about the, the light outside the house. I could see there were no lights on in the house, so I moved into the shadows and contemplated what I was about to do. I stepped out from the shadows. I looked to assess the height of the window. The sitting room was on the first floor, and I'd never been great with my aim. <laughs> but I hurled the brick to the window and crash and then thud. It hit the windowsill and the brick had fallen at my feet with bits of windowsill and chips of paint. I picked up my brick, I picked up my brick, I dusted it off, I realigned the message on the brick, <laughs> and I threw it like a netball. Smash. The message arrived on the sitting room floor. It was only then that I see the risks involved. I'd made an awful lot of noise. The neighbor to my right happened to be the principal psychologist at the psychiatric hospital where I'd just got my post. There was a risk that she'd recognize me. I was worried that somebody would call the police. 
but you know, more than anything else, I was terrified at the thought of being seen running from the scene of a crime. So I stepped into the light and I, I lit a cigarette. I paused and I walked as slowly as I could to Tufnell Park Station. <laughs> The next morning, I was late for work, only a little late. As I opened the, the hospital door, I could see the neighbor and the hospital receptionist deep in conversation. They looked up and they smiled. The principal psychologist walked across to me to say, Celia, was it you? And I said, no, it wasn't me, and she hadn't asked the question. <laughs> so now they both knew, and by lunchtime, everyone would know. There was nothing I could do. I was late, so I ran downstairs to the family unit to run the morning group for dysfunctional families and their delinquent adolescents. <laughs> That day, it's actually with some humility, I feel, I experienced empathy in its pure form. Naturally, I was worried about my reputation in the hospital, and I worried about the consequences. But in fact, staff and friends were bemused that somebody like me could throw a brick. I suppose it, you know, it was pretty understandable that no chap in the hospital ever asked me for a date after that. <laughs> but somewhere between my being an emotional mute and chucking that brick, I realized the power of words. And although I still struggle sometimes to save what's going on in my head, <laughs> or in my guts. The truth is that I'll be forever grateful to that yellow skip and my red brick. Yeah. Thank you. Celia, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Great stories on the theme for people that have just come in. The theme is trick or treat tonight. Um, I'm thank you very much. Look, this is good. They're coming in thick and fast, these forms. Um, what is the nastiest surprise you've ever had? Sleeping with a guy and finding out not only had he slept with my boss, he'd also slept with my close friend and Barbara Windsor. <laughs> That's just showing off. Um, are you ready for your next storyteller, ladies and gentlemen? Yes, you are. Please welcome to the stage the wonderful Jacqueline. Hello. He walked towards me like a baby giraffe. Caramel skin, chocolate eyes, long, loose limbs, lolloping gait. When he'd gone, my friend said, oh my God, you'd make such a great couple. Which would be fine if we'd been in a bar, but we weren't in a bar. We were in a college hall, and I was in a position of responsibility, signing people up for courses, and she was a teacher of some 30 years 
who should have known better than to try and encourage me to have such thoughts about a potential student, but there you go. We cut to four months later, and baby giraffe, D, is in my class. He makes my jaw drop. He's six foot three, thin as a whip, that caramel skin, those chocolate eyes, fringe sweeping over his face, his kind of wonky teeth that break into a smile, lolloping gait. My friend and colleague, A, who also teaches him, pins his student ID photo up, camouflaged amongst the rest of his class, obviously, and together we kind of giggle over it and sort of look at it and drool over it. And Dee turns out to be quite a willing and enthusiastic student, and when he wants to do extra work in the studio, A, lets him. And when he wants to discuss his written assignment with me, I drop everything and invite him into my little office, converted cupboard, um, and we sit and I pour over his essay, and by that I mean I pour over his face, his beautiful, beautiful face. Um, and also, it's probably worth pointing out at this time that my good friend A is uh, 52 and in a long-term relationship, but we'll, we'll probably get onto that. Anyway, um, I'm off sick for a while, I'm off work for a month, I'm ill, and during that time, A is a great friend. She supports me, she calls me, she comes to see me. And then I return in the spring with a spring in my step and D, baby giraffe, he notices this. And after class one day, he says that a film that we've been talking about is on at the NFT and if I wanna go, he'll go. So we go. And it's perfectly thrilling. It's both of us just pretending that the forbidden nature of it isn't exciting, but it is. And, and just pretending it's a, a kind of natural extension of the curriculum. And uh, we have a great time. We watch the film, and after the film, we find a sort of an after-hours drinking den, have a few drinks, and before I know it, we're in a taxi, and we're going back to my place where we spend a few hours just kind of sitting, talking. And it's a school night, so I have to go to bed. So I go to bed, and I leave him on the sofa. I don't know what you take me for, but I, I leave him on the sofa. And I should point out, before anyone's thinking of calling the police, that uh, at the time I was 35 and he was 29. Uh, we were in a college. Anyway, um, uh, the next morning I go off to work, and you know he goes off home, and life carries on. And then we decide, actually, we've had a really good time, so we'll do it again. So the next Saturday, he sends me a text that says he's looking forward to our frolics that night. He signs off with two kisses. So I shave my legs and <laughs> tidy the flat. And uh, we, we go out and we have a great time and we end up back at mine. And this time, animal magnetism, it, it cannot be denied. And in the parlance of tabloid newspapers and problem pages, one thing led to the other and the inevitable happened. And the next morning, um, I'm sitting on the edge of the sofa talking to him, and he says, oh, last week when you were sitting there, you know, eating your cereal and covering up your legs because you thought the dressing gown was gaping open, I was thinking, oh, it's the top half she needs to worry about, you know, and if that falls open anymore and she's not wearing anything underneath it, she's going to be really late for work. And it's just thrilling, and we carry on this really lustful affair, and we have sneaky kisses in the lift at work, and he stays behind after class to discuss his essay, and we spend every Friday night at his place, um, sometimes kissing. I remember over Easter, kissing made a bit difficult because he had a bit of a cold. 
And I said to him one time, can I tell A about this? I mean, she and I were friends as well as colleagues. He says, mm, I don't know, it might be a bit awkward in class if she knows. So I respect that and I don't tell her, I keep the secret from her. But over Easter, she and I are talking on the phone and, you know, she's mentioning a cold, how unusual it is for her to have one. Anyway, one Friday night, I'm at Dee's house and he ignores his ringing landline and later on we go to bed and, you know, after a physical expression of our animal magnetism, <laughs> something just kind of forces me out of bed and back into the living room and I think, if I pick up that phone and do 1471, it's going to be A's number. So I pick up the phone and I do 1571 and I hear the message. And it's A's voice, all husky, like she thinks she's being really sexy. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. O and D, I adore you. I adore you, like she's phoning from the 1950s. <laughs> so I put the phone down and I storm back into the room and I'm like, D, do you want to tell me about A? And he is so busted. And he just sits up in bed and is horrified that I've discovered it. It was like suddenly living in a soap opera. There was the betrayal, the sex, the older woman, the toy boy. I wanted to kill him, I wanted to kill her, but then I thought, if I do that, I'll have to kill myself because it will be really easily traced back to me and I can't do the time, I just can't do it. Anyway, um, A decides she should probably talk to me about it. So we go to talk, and she says, I can't help thinking of Pasolini's Theorem. And for those of you who don't know Pasolini's Theorem, it's a film in which uh, Terence Stamp screws his way through a bourgeois family. So she says, I can't help thinking of uh, Pasolini's Theorem, and that D should be made to sleep with N and T, our male colleagues, as well. I manage a kind of half-wry smile. Later, I'm telling my friend Steve the whole terrible, sorry story, and he says, I'm going to sympathise with you in a minute, but first, can I just say, why couldn't I have gone to a college like that? Yeah. <laughs> it's not helpful. Anyway, um, cut to a few years later, and I'm out of that job. It's propelled me out. It's changed my life. And uh, I'm walking through Soho, you know, fully aware that at the last count, D had wanted to stay with A, and he'd also wanted to stay with me, and I'd wanted to kind of stay with my self-respect, so I kind of got out of there. Not fast enough, but that's another story. And so suddenly, I, I, you know, I haven't seen them for years, and I'm walking through Soho, I'm in my new job, and uh, I see her, and she looks like a woman who's keeping a secret, and it's showing on her face, and the baby giraffe has put on a bit of weight, so he's bit more baby elephant now and no more sweeping fringe, male pattern boredness kicking in. And as I swing past them, start at the corner of my eye, I take a sneaky glance and I can see that they look really, really miserable. And I feel, I feel happy or I feel something like happiness. Jacqueline, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, we've had lots of people, more people saying... 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Uh, things on the sheets. Uh, what's the nastiest surprise you've ever had? First memory. Around two years old, visiting Pakistan, wanted some milk, so made my way across the courtyard to the place I'd been having milk recently, pushed open the big blue gate and saw the cow that I had seen milk come from. The tail waving to and fro caught my attention, and thirsty, I reached for the tail and pulled. A leg shot out and booted me across the courtyard. (laughs) Thank you very much for that one. Yeah, it deserves a round of applause. And I'll do one more and then we'll bring on our our lovely next storyteller. Um, What's the nastiest surprise you've ever had? When I realised my boobs were never going to grow above an A cup. And that's from me. No, (laughs) it's not. But I feel you, sister, wherever you are. Um, We have our last storyteller of the evening. It's the wonderful Jack, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, I was just like, first time I met Charlie was the first time that I saw Spark, and it was at Wilderness Festival, and it was very much like this, apart from like, you guys would all be on ketamine, and um, kind of like, um, and there was a very weird chap at the very end of the night, it got to like 3am in the morning, and we'd been, we'd been sparking all evening, um, and there was this one guy, and he was just sat there, and we just started wrapping blankets over, and he was like, lost all my friends. I've lost all my friends and I don't know where I am. And we're like, do you have a story to tell? Um, but yeah, um, mine is that I've got my phone on me. I'm not cheating, I'm not reading. I have got something to read, but it's not a cheat. Um, but yeah, so my, my story starts like this. When I was 15, my dad died um, during the middle of my GCSEs, which as a future note to any pers- like future parents, any future fathers, an incredibly inconvenient time to die. Um, jot that down. Um, and, and yeah, it was a very kind of difficult one. He, passed the, he died of cancer. I hate using the term passed away because what does that mean? Passed away, passed on. It's all like just avoiding the subject of death. Um, 
And it was in the middle of my GCSEs, and it was a weird one. It was kind of like a... Uh, it was in between year 10 and year 11, so it was during like, the kind of switch of the syllabuses. I won't go into, you know, 2008 GCSE <laughs> education culture, but um, it, it pretty much could have really, really effed me up. Am I allowed to swear, by the way? Yeah. Does anybody mind? Oh, it, it nearly fucked me up, but look, I'm here. Um, and, and I was kind of struggling with lots of subjects, but I was, I was quite academic anyway. But the one that I was absolutely like, just got back to school and could not get my head around was Spanish. Um, I think maybe there's something to do with the Spanish language and young bereaved teenagers that didn't really gel. Um, and so like already, like my, my mum can't read or write. Now, I've got, like, a real X-Factor parental sob story. Um, so, like, throughout all my education, I used to write my, like, parents' letters to schools to, like, get out of things if I was ill or I had a dentist appointment or, like, there was an all-you-can-eat buffet lunch deal in Ricky and I need to go. I'm from Watford, by the way, and there's this place called Ricky. Yeah, Watford, brilliant. There's an all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet, um, as in most towns <laughs> that's around the M25. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, so I got really, really good at like writing letters that sounded like quite professional, quite posh. Like my English was fucking great. It was my Spanish that was shit. Um, and like, what I used to do is my mum would dictate what she would say, and then I'd write it, and and it would all be quite fancy. And and I decided one day I was like, I've had enough. I don't deserve to do GCSE Spanish. So I thought I'll write a letter to my head of year as my mum being like. Jack cannot do Spanish anymore because his dad's died. Um, I don't know why I've done a northern accent there. Because, <laughs> as I said, we're from, well, Watford is North London, so maybe there's a thing. Um, so I, I, one day it was like lunchtime, and I spent my lunch in the library. I wrote this letter out on the computer, printed it off. Like, it looked bloody great. It looked like a proper, the real McCoy. And I went to my head of year, Mrs. Mould. Yep. Uh, and I went to her and I was like, this is a letter from my mum. I really, really want to get out of Spanish. And she looked at it. And what I didn't really realise about my school um, is this was kind of like late, late noughties. And there was a thing on uh, Microsoft Word that used to do a timestamp, which said document created, document modified, document printed. And all of those three times were in the last 20 minutes. Um, so she could tell that I'd written the letter. But rather than kind of be mean, I mean, this woman was mean. Mrs. Mould was a militant fascist. She would walk around school with like a megaphone, and if somebody had their shirt untucked, she'd be like, Jeremy, tuck your shirt and I can see. No, no, don't walk away from me, Jeremy. Tuck it in. Tuck it in. Okay, you can go. Um, she was like that, and she kind of looked like she looked, and this is the truth, she looked like a cross between Katie Hopkins and Miss Trunchbull, which is like the face of evil. And with like a hint of Renee Zellweger's new face as well. Um, and uh, yeah, she was really, really scary. And so like, she kind of was like, well, I still want you to do Spanish GCSE, Jack. And I was like, well, look, my dad's just died. I don't want to do it. And my mum may or may not have written a letter to you, <laughs> but... Yeah, anyway, the, the kind of deal that we got with 
um, was a little card. And this card, which I found out recently, was called a get-out-of-class card because I went back to my school to find out about it. I'm researching, I'm doing a show, I'm a comedian. I'll talk about that later. Um, and this was what it said on the card. So it was called a get-out-of-class card. Show this card to a teacher at any time to leave the lesson. Please report to matron's office to notify her of your class break. Do not suffer in silence. That last sentence is kind of a bit bleak, really. Um, the idea is that if you felt sad in the lesson, you'd flash this little card, you could leave, you could go to the library and read or speak to a friend on a bench or order dominoes, which is <laughs> clearly what I did quite a bit. Um, and yeah, and it was kind of a, it, it was a weird one because like, at first I was really like ashamed of having this card. I didn't want to be one of those like weird boys. Oh, one of those boys. Oh, he's got a card. He's got one of those cards. He's weird. Don't speak to him. He smells. He smells like eels. Ooh. Um, and, and then like soon enough, like uh, there were just occasions where like, I genuinely needed to use the card. Like something would come up and I'd be like, wow, I really, really don't want to be here. So I'd, I'd use it. And then, like, every now and then, I'd kind of use it again. You know, maybe if the night before there was a slightly turbulent storyline in EastEnders, maybe it would come back to me and I'd be like, oh, I'll use that again. And then gradually, I started using it when I wasn't sad. And I became a dictator. I misused the power of the card to walk out of any lesson whenever the fuck I liked. Um, so, period four maths with Mr. Addo, which was just before lunch. Me and my friend Sam, we would kind of sit there and we'd wait to the clock. And when it was like 15 minutes before the end, I'd be like, oh, there's a red car outside. <laughs> my dad used to drive a red car. <laughs> and then I flashed the card and we'd run to the front of the lunch queue and get all the hot food before everybody else, which is why my physique is like this. Um, and then gradually, like, kind of word went round that I had this powerful tool. To, it's like a control-alt-delete, but in school. And uh, just people would be like, oh, I'll sit, next to, I'll sit next to Jack. And I went from being, like, the weird boy whose dad's died to being, like, the weird boy who can get you out of a lesson early if you look like you're a supportive friend to him. Um, and, and I kind of, like... I'm now writing this show with the Roundhouse, um, and it's kind of like a, a, a comedy documentary almost. I've done a bit of filming, and I went back to my school, and I realised that actually, like what Mrs. Mould had done, is kind of given me a bit of paper that was at the time when I was 15, the only kind of bit of control or power that I had over anything. Like most bereaved young people, especially. If kind of if you're from like a single parent family or an alone parent family, I hate that word, alone parent family, because that's just something that I think the Tories came up with ages ago. Um, but like, you don't really have much control. Like I didn't have much control over, you know, what was happening, like where I was living, whether or not like my mum could even pick me up from school or if I had to walk. And my school was quite, a, it was really posh. It was like quite a like nice comprehensive school. Um, and my dad was a black cab driver, so I had given off this allure. My dad used to drive me to school in the morning, and rather than being like, boy, dad, I used to go, thank you, driver, I'll see you tomorrow, um, just to kind of, like, fit in. And I used to lie, my mum was a catering executive, and she worked in the council office's CAF. Um, but, yeah, and it, it kind of, like, made me realise that this little bit of card was, was actually, like, me kind of reclaiming a little bit of, of control back over my life and what I could do um, and I suppose it was my treat to tenuously link to the theme of the night 
Um, but yeah, I'm doing a kind of like free sharing of what I'm kind of calling like the My Dead Dad show um, and the Roundhouse. And I've got little cards for it, similar to the card that I was given. If you'd like one and you'd like to come, it's on the 20th and 21st of November and it's free. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been Jack Crook. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jack. And that brings us... Sadly, to the end of Spark London. However, I do want to just like give credit to all the people that have performed tonight. So let's give it up for Celia, Jacqueline and Jack. So if you like what you've seen tonight, we do run open mics in Brixton Hackney. This is our like curated night. So if you like what you've seen, we do pure open mics in the Brixton Ritzy and the Hackney Attic. And those are really lovely. And that's how we find a lot of the storytellers to come to tonight. They're really, really good to come go to. Um, if you want to like us, you can do. We're sp uh, Spark London. Check out the dates on sparklondon.com as well. Thank you. You guys have been wonderful. Thank you. Give yourselves a round of applause. And thank you for coming. Thank you very much. Good night. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.